How are we doing, everybody? My name is Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and welcome back to another episode of History Spelunkers. This is the show where I take a deep dive into some niche topic in history, and once i done some sort of research on it, I then tell my friends about this topic, and here they are. Hi, I'm Jamie. I use she, her pronouns. And I am Hunter. I'm the fill-in. I'm the, the, the fourth friend, and I use he, him <laughs> pronouns. Well, we are glad to have you, Hunter. And so are y'all ready to talk about something niche today? Very excited. All right. Down the rabbit hole we go. excited about this one. I've been wanting to do this episode for a while now, um, and we're finally getting around to it. So have either of y'all seen the 1976 film Taxi Driver by Martin Scorsese, and it stars Robert De Niro? No, I have not. (laughs) I feel like I've seen the recent. Is there a new Taxi Driver? I don't think so. Um, Yeah, I don't think they've made a remake of it, but. uh, Oh, I've seen Baby Driver. (laughs) Baby Driver, yeah. Not the same movie. (laughs) (laughs) Though Baby Driver is very good, I will say. But totally different vibe of a movie. And so uh, we're going to be talking about some of the history of this film and some of the historical events that it is connected to. But before we do that, I guess I better give you all a quick rundown of how this movie went. So I guess uh, for those listening, if you don't want to hear spoilers for like a 50 year old movie, I guess you can pause and come back. But, you know, it's 50 years old. So, (laughs) so basically, so it stars Robert De Niro. He's the main character, and uh, his he plays a taxi driver named Travis Bickle, and uh, he is a Vietnam vet with severe PTSD, and he works as a taxi driver working the night shift in New York City. He's a bit socially awkward. Is very polite way to put it. Uh, he's struggling with some <laughs> things, but he meets this girl. Betsy and they hit it off. They go out on a couple of dates. Uh, He becomes uh, a bit obsessed with her and the relationship kind of falls apart because on one of their dates, he takes her to a porno theater 
and she doesn't like that. Oh my. Um, and so she gets upset, storms off and doesn't return any of his calls. And he gets upset that he's not able to contact her. And so after a few days, I think he shows up and confronts her at her job, big arguments and no one leaves happy. And uh, it's a whole big episode. Well, Betsy works in a campaign office for a Senator Palantine who is running for president. Travis, not handling this breakup very well, decides that he wants to get revenge at Betsy by assassinating the candidate that she works for. That'll show her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, very, you know, stable. We understand everyone's felt that, right? Yeah, exactly. So while he is uh, working himself up to assassinate a presidential candidate and thinking about how he's going to pull this off, um, well, during his taxi drives at night, he has uh, several serendipitous encounters with a child prostitute, and her name is Iris, and she is played by the 12-year-old Jodie Foster, who went on to become famous in her roles in Silence of the Lambs is the big one, but this was like one of her first roles, and she's playing this child prostitute who's trying to escape her pimp. And so she jumps into the back of his taxi one night, doesn't work out, and he runs into her a couple other times. And so Travis gets it in his mind that he is going to rescue this little girl from her situation while simultaneously plotting to assassinate Palantine. Kind of a convoluted plot. He has a lot going on. He's got all of his bases covered. Yeah. Also, I'll <laughs> add child, prostitute. Those two words should never go together. Ever. No, very much so. And uh, it was kind of contentious at the time that they got an actual child to play this role. But from what I've seen, they did a really good job at making sure that Jodie Foster was comfortable with the scenes that she was in. They had like a child psychiatrist around to make sure that everything was going fine. And uh, she has praised Robert De Niro for how uh, professionally was and looking after her during the shooting of this film. So, but yeah, we're dealing with some pretty heavy themes um, and topics. So yeah, he's wanting to rescue Iris and wanting to kill Palantine. So he goes through preparing to do all this. He shaves his head and puts on a mohawk, which looks really weird. And he creates like this contraption to where he can slide a gun out of his coat sleeve and he has it all planned out. And so the day comes whenever he's going to assassinate Palantine and he's waiting for him in the crowd, but because he's not the most intelligent dude, he starts talking with the secret service agent and kind of spooks him off. And they, he is not able to go through with his plot to kill Palantine and get revenge on Betsy because that didn't work out. He decides that night he's going to go rescue Iris 
And so he pulls up to the uh, brothel and gets into this very gruesome gun battle where he manages to kill like the pimp and five gang members. He gets shot a whole bunch. Blood is flying everywhere. It's very dramatic. And, but he does manage to kill all the bad guys. And by the end of the battle, he is very wounded. Travis tries to shoot himself in the head, but he is out of bullets. And so he sits down on the couch in Iris's room with like dead bodies surrounding him. The cops show up and kind of fades to black. And then comes back in, see some time has passed. And through newspaper clippings on the wall, we can see that Travis is considered this hero for rescuing Iris and returning her to her family. And no one even suspects a thing or knows anything about him trying to kill the senator. The movie ends with him picking up Betsy one last time in a taxi cab and they kind of reminisce over things and he lets her out without having to pay her fare. And that's where the movie Aww, ends. Oh, how nice. What? Yeah. He kills her? <laughs> that's where the movie ends. He kills Betsy? No. He, he lets her out of the cab at like her hotel oh. and she goes to pay him and he's like, no, you don't have oh. to. I thought you were using a metaphor as in she didn't need to pay because she was dead. (laughs) Well, that's like the last scene, but like the last shot we see is like him driving away and uh, you can see his reflection in his like rear view mirror. And he like Mm -hmm. looks back and he like does a double take and he looks very upset about something, but we don't know what he's upset about because then the credits roll. Hmm. So he doesn't ever kill the senator, as far as we know. He does not kill the senator. He doesn't get back at Betsy. He seems to forgive her. He does rescue Iris. Seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of debate on what's real in the last two or three scenes. Yeah, it's because um, real and what's not real. With the last uh, at the end of the gun battle, you know he's pretty badly wounded and so we don't know whether or not he actually died and he's just kind of imagining that he's hailed as this hero or it's up for interpretation Hmm. it's considered kind of an iconic film there's a couple of scenes like that last scene where he you see his eyes in the rearview mirror and uh you know it has the famous you talking to me you talking to me that line comes from this movie. Uh, it's whenever he's hyping himself up in a mirror, trying to figure out what he's going to like say to the senator as he kills him. But yeah, it's iconic film. It's preserved by the Library of Congress. The big blood battle. I mean, the gun battle at the end, whenever he's killing all the pimps and stuff, they actually had to tint the entire screen red because there was so much blood on the screen that they were worried it was going to get such a bad rating that they wouldn't be able to show it in theaters. So they tinted the screen red. So you can't see as much blood as there actually is. Mm. 
it's a decent film. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, but yeah, kind of weird. And so, yeah, that's the episode. Thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, while the movie is interesting enough, it's not necessarily uh, as niche as it goes just with that. This film, obviously, one of the main plot points is the attempted assassination of a senator. That part, at least, uh, was inspired by a true event. The screenplay for this film was in part inspired by a book called An Assassin's Diary, which was the diary of the man who tried to assassinate President Nixon and also Mm -hmm. tried and to assassinate Alabama Governor George Wallace and actually succeeded in having an attack on George Wallace. The person who wrote this diary, his name is Arthur Bremer. He's from Milwaukee. Also not the most mentally stable person in the world. Uh, Has trouble keeping jobs. Best friend accidentally killed himself. Not good at having romantic relationships. And uh, after a string of bad times, he quits both of his jobs and decide that he is going to either kill President Nixon or kill George Wallace uh, during the 1972 presidential campaign. And thus, by killing one of them, he will become famous like Lee Harvey Oswald or John Wilkes Booth. Hmm. Um, so he starts off this idea with uh, plotting to kill Nixon because Nixon's the president. It'll make him more famous. And so he begins writing this diary on March 1st. Uh, he followed Nixon to several campaign events, even followed him up to like Canada with the intention of killing him. Nixon, but didn't work out. He thought the security was too intense and uh, he only had a revolver. And so he wasn't able to get close enough. So he went back home to Milwaukee and kind of pouted about it for three weeks, trying to figure out what he's going to do next. Oh no, I'm not going to be able to kill the president. Um, (laughs) How unfortunate for me. Come on. And so, uh, But on May 4th, he decides to switch tactics and he's going to go after Wallace. And so Wallace is an infamous guy who, you know, segregation now, segregation forever. You know, that dude. Mm. Uh, Well, this guy liked to run for president a lot. Um, And... uh, in 1968, I believe, he ran as a third-party candidate and got like 46 electoral votes and 13% of the popular vote. Of course, in the southern states is where he had his success. But um, this time he was running as a Democrat because third parties don't work in the United States. Bremer decides that George Wallace must die even though he writes in his diary that he is a bit upset because it won't be, it won't make him as a uh, famous. He, 
I think there's a line about uh, it probably won't even make the news in France. And he's really upset about that. (laughs) Dang, okay. But on May 15th, Wallace is giving a campaign speech in Laurel, Maryland. And around four o'clock, Bremer pushed his way to the front of the line and opened fire on Wallace. He hit Wallace about four times with um, permanently paralyzed Wallace from the waist down. Three others were also shot in the crossfire. Uh, Secret Service agent Nick Sarvos was shot in the neck. Uh, Wallace's personal bodyguard, E.C. Dothard, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, He was shot in the stomach. And a campaign volunteer, Dora Thompson, uh, was shot in the leg. Nobody died, um, but Wallace was paralyzed and Zarvos had a speech impediment for the rest of his life. So yeah, bad day for a lot of people. Wallace actually went on to win the Maryland and Michigan primaries that were held the next day. And uh, he lost the nomination that year, but he went on to actually speak at the Democratic National Convention a few months later from his wheelchair. And uh, yeah, Bremer was sentenced to 53 years in prison, but he was released in 2007 and is uh, currently on probation. Oh, wow. He can't leave the state of Maryland, and he uh, he has to go to therapy. So uh, it's probably safe out there. But uh, yeah, his diary was published in 1973, and Scorsese used it to inspire the character of Travis Bickle. So, do you think he regrets it? I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, because you lose so many years of your life in prison. He's like, he's like, and I do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, Wallace obviously wasn't, you know, the best dude. Um, so maybe not feel too bad, but Wallace would eventually go on to renounce his like segregationist views. Um, whenever he ran for governor for his final term in uh, 1983. He was like, yeah, no, I was totally wrong and uh, made a record number of appointments of black people into government. And um, so, yeah, I, I guess he had some change of heart. Uh, sorry guys Uh, slavery was bad yeah (laughs) oopsie doopsie (laughs) is wallace so who knows how genuine that might have been but um yeah yeah interesting laurel is very close to dc yeah i mean like eerily close (laughs) you know i'm I don't remember what all he had several campaign events that day that uh, Bremer kind of followed him around to. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think you can still go to like the shopping mall where this happens. So, (laughs) but uh, I did that. That was me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause he's still in Maryland. So he's like trying to pick up chicks in the mall. He's like, you heard about that shooting? Yeah, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. Yeah. I used to live in Maryland actually. Oh really? In fact, I'm I used to live only 30 minutes from Laurel. Whoa. I'm, okay. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. It's really close. <laughs> You're like, I think I've been to that mall. <laughs> You're like, he's actually my uncle. Wait, what'd you say his name was? No, I'm <laughs> Wait, let, let me make some phone calls real quick. Um sorry. My last name is Hunter Bremer. Oof. <laughs> Don't talk Yikes. bad on my uncle Calvin. <laughs> no, uh, it's crazy how close he is. Though, like, I'm sure, I'm sure I know people who are very familiar with this situation, or at least this person. Yeah, that's wild. It is crazy, <clears throat> but uh, but wait, there's more. Because not only was this uh, movie inspired by an attempted assassination. It also inspired an assassination. Oh, we have come full circle. Yes. Inspirational. Two for the price of one. Anyone oh, want to God. take a guess on who was the unlucky person? Hmm. Movie came out in 1976. So was it an attempted or a successful assassination? It was an attempted assassination. It sounds familiar to when that one fan, gosh, wasn't there one fan who attempted an assassination and then said it was all for like a celebrity that he was in love with? Yeah, you're you're on the money there. Um, Oh God, what? Who was it though? So this this was uh, Ronald Reagan. Yes, 1981. No. The fella in question uh, was a Mr. John Hinckley Jr. John or Hinckley, whatever. I don't know. We'll call him. We'll call him Hinky. 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 Senor Hinky. He was a uh, in high school whenever the attempt on Wallace's life occurred, and uh, he was a. Sometimes a student at Texas Tech and uh, would come and go over the years before he ultimately dropped out and moved to California to become a musician. That didn't work out. Hinky was also not the most mentally stable person. He like made up a fake girlfriend, you know, and told his parents about her. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, he watched the movie Taxi Driver he became obsessed with Miss Jodie Foster who was 12 at the time of the film. Oh, and it was Jodie Foster. Yeah. And so I remember this. I mean, he was obsessed. So Foster graduated high school and went to Yale in the early 1980s. So Hinkley 
moved across the country and began to stalk her while she's going to college. He would like go to her. He would call her. He would go to her dorm and slide letters under her door and real creepy stuff. He's, I think like eight years older than her. So you, but uh, yeah, he uh, became very obsessed with her and um, Jodie Foster didn't reciprocate any of these feelings, felt very uncomfortable with this whole situation. Hinkley did not like to be ignored and he really wanted to get her attention. And in his mind, she was only ignoring him because they weren't on the same social level. No, she's an actress and he's this nobody. So how do you impress the ladies? You kill the president of the United States. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) So yeah, he began to come up with this plan in late 1980. Carter was president at the time, so he was going to, he was going to kill him and thought it was very easy to get close to the president and thought it was actually kind of surprising how close he could get, but nothing ever happened. Hinckley was actually arrested at an airport in Nashville because he had been there, you know, same time as the president trying to kill him. He was arrested for illegal possession of firearms. But uh, the FBI didn't make a connection because there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of stuff there. He wasn't telling people, you know, I'm going to kill the president because you don't do that, kids. Um, that will get you in trouble. <laughs> mm. But uh, so, yeah, the FBI didn't make a connection. And so the Secret Service was not identified that this person existed and was a possible threat. And so. Reagan's elected in November. Um, in March of 1981, uh, Hinckley is making his way to Harvard, Connecticut to try and woo over Jodie Foster again. But he makes a stop in D.C. and decides, you know what? I might as well. I'm here. Let's go ahead and try to kill the president. So on March 30th, Reagan's giving a speech at the Washington Hilton Hotel. He wasn't wearing a bulletproof vest because he was not going to be out in public for that long, only about 30 feet before he got into his limo. And while the building itself had been like swept through with security, the general public was allowed to stand about 15 feet away from where President Reagan would be walking. And it was only behind a single rope line. Maybe not the smartest idea in hindsight, but... At around 2.30, Reagan's walking that distance and passed right in front of Hinckley. Hinckley squatted down to have a better shot, fired six times in less than two seconds. And one round hit the press secretary, James Brady, in the head. Another one struck a D.C. police officer named Thomas Del Haunty in the neck. At that point, Reagan was directly in the line of fire, but Secret Service members 
managed to push him into the limousine. So that way he wasn't shot in the head. Um, people began to crowd around and secret service agent, Tom McCarthy was shot in the chest while he was protecting the president. But the final bullet ricocheted off the bulletproof door of the limousine and hit Reagan under his left arm. And so at first they didn't know Reagan had been shot, but after Reagan started coughing up blood, you know, they took him to the hospital and the bullet had caused his lung to collapse and had lodged itself less than an inch away from his heart. DC police officer Dalhanty, he was paralyzed. Secretary Brady was left permanently disabled. So yeah, a lot of people got hurt really bad. And uh, Reagan went on to survive. You know, this is the scene where he gives, you know, honey, I forgot to duck. And I hope all the doctors are Republicans. You know, those quips, allegedly. Um, <laughs> but Secretary Brady, the one who is left permanently disabled, he died in 2014 and they ruled his death a homicide because it was from the injuries that he sustained on um, this day in 1981. So mm. um, Kingley's reasoning was to impress Jodie Foster. And uh, because of this, <laughs> he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was confined full-time in St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C. until 2006. And in 2016, Hinckley was allowed to leave the hospital full-time and live with his mother. He's currently under treatment and supervision. And uh, actually, he now has a YouTube channel where he performs music. And uh, what? he has a couple thousand subscribers. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> so um, this kind of reminded me of the assassination of John Lennon. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny because I was just reading on Wikipedia that John Lennon was killed by a man named David Mark David Chapman. All right. And it looks like John Lennon killed Mark Mark David Chapman. Uh and he had like a or, I'm sorry, opposite. Yeah, you got that back. <laughs> Mark Mark David Chapman killed killed John Lennon, who was obviously in the <laughs> Beatles. And mm. uh, his whole thing was he was catcher. He was like a freak about the catcher in the rye. And it was really religious. So he didn't really like that John Lennon was anti-religion. And that's why I killed him. And when Hinckley, like a few days after the Hinckley, Hinckley tried to assassinate uh, Ronald Reagan, it, it looks like he had a copy of Holden Caulfield, uh, in the catcher in the rye. Uh, which is, Holden Cuffield is the main character of that book. And he wrote something that about how he, he was obsessed with John Lennon and Jodie Foster. And then once John Lennon was killed, everything that year was going to be dedicated to Jodie Foster. And that's how they figured out that he was obsessed with Jodie Foster. And that's why he did that. So mm -hmm. it's weird how this one also kind of ties into it. 
And it was only four months later. Damn. Because <laughs> I, I had People also thought about crazy. That is so crazy. Yeah. And uh, Jodie Foster, she hasn't really talked about this a whole lot because, I mean, it's like she had nothing to do with it, obviously, but it's just other people being obsessed with her and went out and did things. And she has like, she's just involved in all, you know, she just gets caught up in this because other people are obsessed with how she looked whenever she was 12 years old, you know? Um, but yeah, she's actually stopped interviews before they tried to ask her questions about it which you know understandable and uh you know hinkley would be very disappointed because jody foster's a lesbian so there you go <laughs> damn the good ones you know yeah <laughs> uh never uh, lucky nope nope so yeah, that's uh, the two assassination attempts that are connected to 1960s, I mean, 1976 film Taxi Driver. That's so. Nice. It's so weird that there was more than one. Yeah, I, that's what drew me to it. It's like, oh, because, you know, this one's inspired by an assassination and it's also inspired one, like... Very few pieces of art, I think, have inspired people to go out and kill other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would encourage you also to look at this John Lennon one, though, when you get the chance, because it's kind of it's kind of crazy how this one connects as well. Yeah. All these famous people are, are getting killed just for the clout of killing famous people. <laughs> Fun fact for the listeners. Killing famous people doesn't necessarily make you famous. <laughs> yeah, you clout chasers. Chill out. Yeah. God, just do something else productive just with your time. Relax already. Kill normal people, but like a lot of them. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> we, want, we want that true crime aspect and fame. We don't care about the assassinations, you know. <laughs> no don't do that we, we gotta boost up those rookie numbers <laughs> be number one or don't kill anyone at all exactly <laughs> uh, but no please don't kill people um don't be inspired by this episode to go kill people um i think that got all the legalese out of the way <laughs> <laughs> i think we're safe now um, thank god that's all it takes <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't do it don't 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 do it uh, me uh so wow. yeah jamie how would you yeah. feel if someone was inspired to kill people for you i would probably feel like weirdly guilty about it you know like it's not my fault right like i was not involved mm -hmm. but i would still probably be like oh it's my fault you know would you be flattered hunter at least like a little i think i'd, I'd have to kill them <laughs> okay <laughs> my next that'd be my, my next move 
Mm. Got to even it out, I guess. Uh, yeah. A Ronald Reagan for a Hinkley, you know what I'm saying? An eye for an eye. <laughs> like now you're famous off of my fame come on <laughs> yeah. no come on now no i will That's be gonna, even more famous it costs something <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's your life that's the way to go no i think i would be horribly guilt i'd feel terribly guilty yeah that something that i produced caused the death of another person yeah have you ever seen, I mean, obviously it's a super popular, famous song, but have you, have you ever heard of Stan by Eminem? No, I, I don't, don't think so. so. So in the song Stan by Eminem, and that's where the, the term Stan comes from. It's like a super oh, really? fan. It's like a Stan. So in the song, Eminem's, uh, it, it's the perspective of this character named Stan. And Stan starts singing and he's like writing letters to Eminem and at first it's like oh my god I'm your biggest fan and then it goes to the second letter and the second letter is I love you so much like like you're my biggest fan please respond mm-hmm. like I know that I know my 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 writing isn't great but hopefully this letter reaches you and the third one's like man I'm so mad that you haven't responded like I'm getting really angry and it's frustrating me and then the fourth one is Eminem's response. And he responds with like, hey, man, I, I'm glad you're a fan. I, I love to hear about your family and whatever. And I think if you just relax a little, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be okay. I hope this letter reaches you in time. And then the, the last uh, the last one, I, it might, this might be a little bit out of order, but the last part of the song is Stan singing into a cassette recorder as he drives him and his pregnant wife over a bridge. Oh and, God. And Eminem realizes as he's, as he's like writing the song, he realizes that, that the guy that he saw in the news who killed him and his wife was him, was Stan who had been writing him letters who he had just received and he had just been super busy. And so mm. it's like this huge moment of, and Eminem has said in the past that his biggest fear is that fans will take it so seriously and rely on him so much that when they do do erratic and irrational things, like they'll be his fault. And he feels that way. And that's like the trope of a Stan is, is a fan who's, who's crazy, who goes insane for the one person. I would also encourage you to listen to that song. It's, I think it's one of the best songs, one of the best rap songs they at least ever made. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Absolutely, yeah. Very good. I had never heard that before. I'm kind of surprised. It's it's one of his biggest songs. It's very it's very like I wouldn't say well known, but at least like if you knew Eminem at all, it'd be like let's see, it's it's a music video on YouTube has forty four million views, you know. Like, okay. It's not a mm-hmm. hidden gem. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, I'm yeah. just sheltered in that way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I would definitely I would definitely can uh encourage you to to listen to it. It's a very like it's a very uh perspective altering song when you think about all these super famous people. Cuz I mean, you think about it, one word could have changed the outcome 
and probably the same. I'm sure that's how Jodie Foster might feel as well, that she could have just mm-hmm. said, hey, if you kill someone, that's going to make me really mad. You know? And like see, something, you know, something as simple as, as just acknowledgement would have changed mm-hmm. anything, you know? <clears throat> but there's no way of knowing that. You can't possibly yeah, put that on, on the... You can't possibly put that on the person. But that's kind of like what the song is about. It's like he he didn't even receive the letters in the amount of time that it took him Stan to go crazy. Yeah. Hmm. So. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, cool song. All right, I guess I'll wrap this up here. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you, Hunter, for joining us in this episode. Listeners, if you like this, please go tell your friends about us. We love to hear from y'all. If you have any questions, uh, suggestions uh, for future topics, or you just want to say hi, you can email us at history spelunkers. That's history S P. E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. As always, uh, we'd like to acknowledge that we're recording this episode from occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, and other indigenous peoples. Uh, That's our show. Thank you, guys. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see y'all soon. Until next time, see y'all down the rabbit hole. Peace. Bye. Bye.